Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the O2 Arena in London, England, featuring a heavyweight fight, Tom Aspinall returning from a blown ACL, was it? I believe it's you. I, I just always default to assuming it's the ACL. Uh, take on Marcin Tybura in the main event. His knee exploded, that's all I yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. ACL, PCL, is that one of them? LCL, MCL? Yeah, Are these I, all I think, things? Yeah, I think there's also like, L, uh, you know, uh, LCD and, uh, hmm. yeah. There's the uh, anterior, the lateral, the medial, and of course the perineal ligament. Mm. I blew that myself. Yeah, I bet you have. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, right. Yeah, this is a good card. Yeah, it's totally solid. It's it's one of those like I don't think there's maybe one really really solid hook fight to this card where I'm like, oh yeah, no, I need to see that fight. Sure, yeah, yeah. Only one, but all up and down. There are fighters and fights dotted in that I will be very interested to see how they go. Perfectly reasonable matchmaking. Yeah, it's Obviously, re- uh, a lot of it intended to feature English and British fighters. Yeah. And uh, it just has to it just makes it stand out that these for the last year or two, these UK cards are like the only ones that the only fight night cards that still feel anything like an event. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they, when the UFC ever travels for a fight night, they, they try, they do that so much less, I guess is the thing. Because yeah. They, they most of the travel. international cards now, I mean, half of them are fight Island cards, which isn't yeah. an Island and aren't good cards. No, uh, that's really literally getting anybody who's willing to right. you know, fight in. But the, um, the Australian yeah. cards are good too. Yeah. And, uh, and these are good go to like Florida or even Charlotte recently and stuff like that. When they're traveling, when they have a gate to sell, which they don't in Fight Island, when when they have an actual gate uh, where they need to get people in the doors to right. to buy tickets, you can immediately see how little they try. When yeah, for the Apex cards. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, it's it's true. But the 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 London ones have all been fun, and the the English are. You know, like traveling abroad, they're even worse than us. Oh, yeah. They're no. like a horrible, insufferable, gnomish people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, having rabid English fans there to support their fighters makes for, in that big-ass arena, makes for a really, really fun, energetic live experience. Yep. No kidding. Like English, Australians. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the Irish 
all mm-hmm. awful, but really cool crowds. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It makes you wish they'd go back to Brazil. They haven't been in Brazil in ages, it seems. And the Brazilians are the funniest international audience because they're so full of hate for people that aren't Brazilian. And no one else goes completely silent when one of their fighters loses like they do in Brazil. I honestly, I love when they're hyped and I love when they're sad. (laughs) The English are strangely more respectful more respectful to non-English fighters. <laughs> it's true. Um, anyway, yeah, solid card. I mean. I, the reason is, I think, for so for so long, English MMA was just, like, a backwater nothing. So, yeah. like, any success that an English fighter had, of course you had to go crazy, but if that was the only time you were going to celebrate was when an English fighter won, then you'd have, yeah. like, one good day a year. Yeah, and God knows, they have precious little to celebrate over there. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean... Uh. Brazil is at least a tropical paradise. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, good card. The The English crowd has been absolutely nuts and really adding to the excitement for the last few of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just English crowd. There's a lot of British people. There's probably a lot of Irish people there, too. And God knows, probably a few continentals mm-hmm. in the mix. But they're fun. They're excited. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. It's a hell of a lot better than last week's card. Let's just say that. Yes, it is much better than last week's card. Although we did get, and we'll talk about this a little bit uh, later, for our bonus content, we did get the remarkable joy last week of seeing a definitive Holly Holm loss. That was nice. As much as it sucks to get a Holly Holm main event booked, that is like the rare, the catharsis, that was nice. Oh, that is like, oh my god! And there were some, and there were some good fights. It's never a knock on the fighters who, nope, who are nope. giving it their all when we complain about these cards. No, no. Like Eddie and I, we did our uh, sixth round, and we do a little bonus thing there where we 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 do the Dave Meltzer star rating thing, mm-hmm. and uh, we end up giving the card like a three, you know, out of a hundred. Out of a hundred, yeah. yeah uh, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, it was like, okay, it's totally reasonable. Because yeah, even even the big catharsis and all that, like that, the catharsis of the Holly Holm loss is what gave it a three. It would have been like a two, two and a half. Right. But that was like, okay, no, you know what? At the end of this, I walked away being like, man, it rules. We've got an actual Bantamweight title contender that, that, that fights in a way that's fun. Mm-hmm. That's cool. True. Anyway. Let's talk about heavyweights. Let's talk about heavyweights, yes. Let's talk about people who are rarely... Well, let's talk about the the, the women's bantamweights of the men's division. That's right, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, I... This is the extremely rare occasion when I would very much like to see a heavyweight fight go past the first round. Yeah, yeah. Um, not because I think that'd be the most fun way for the fight to get down. It, it, you know, it probably won't. Um, Tom Aspinall, when he crushes people in minutes, it's awesome to watch. Yeah. I mean, the guy is clearly very good. Um, I may have my doubts about him, which we will explore as we talk about this matchup and, and him as a fighter, but I, I certainly, you can just look at him and the, the sniff test tells you he's better than your Chris Dawkins's your, Augusto Sakai is your any other heavyweight who's randomly strung together three wins before turning out to be a pile of shit. 
yeah. he's good. You know, he's a very good, um, still young fighter. He, Aspinall fights like somebody who I don't, and maybe this is wrong, but it's like the rare. This is the rare success story of the the person who just started out doing MMA when they were young. Mm-hmm. Is it? He fights like a little scrappy kid at heavyweight. You know, he fights like he's still like thirteen and one hundred and forty pounds. Excited, and, you know, trying things out. Yeah, and just being like, oh, yeah, I'm fast. I can do yeah. crazy stuff. I can move my feet. I can bounce yeah. around. Yeah, I see that. He's, he's always willing to try different things. He's Yeah, he it, certainly doesn't... doesn't uh, he grew up fighting before he was such a big lummox, is what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. He, he has yet to grow into being a big ox. Yeah. Uh, mentally, spiritually. Yeah, and it, it makes him thrilling to watch. For sure. And he's clearly a great athlete. Yep. Um, he's super fast, very agile. He hits hard. He is a really remarkable athlete, uh, especially by heavyweight standards. And um, the trouble is, is like he just keeps smoking everyone. Yeah. And I have seen him in one fight where he was extended past the first round at, at this level anyway. Mm-hmm. And in that fight, there were he was still impressive, no doubt. That was yep. against Andre Arlovsky, but there were some, you know, causes for concern. Yeah, there were there were there were reasons to pause. He, um, I mean, I gotta say, even even saying that, and this is why I, I'm convinced that Tom Aspinall is a good fighter, is that, uh, you know, like a, a heavyweight going super hard for a first round finish that seemed like was a perfectly justifiable decision to expend all that energy. It looked like he was gonna get a finish. Yeah. And then gassing, not just gassing because the first round had happened, but gassing yeah. <laughs> because, because he tried to finish someone and yeah. then still finding a way to win the fight. That is more a good sign than it is just a, it's mixed at the very worst. But I need to see more of that to like know how real that problem is, how likely he is to gas, if he can maintain this style, how deep is his game? Uh is his game how deep is his game i really need to know <laughs> okay no you're not going to no. join in on harmony no come on man i don't and, even uh, I, i'm not even sure what tune you're singing how deep is your love oh okay how See, deep is his game is his game okay okay yeah come I, on man the Bee Gees. No, yeah, okay. No, I I get it. You you you've thoroughly you've thoroughly hit the the mark of being of really poorly singing. Right. A, and uh, up next, I'm going to do tragedy. <laughs> Your eternal theme. Uh, great great song. I wouldn't be upset about that. Um Yeah, and Marching Tibora is um not the best heavyweight in the division, but uh you know, should be able to test that on the right night. Yeah. Should be able to test Aspinall's endurance, his ability to deal with pushback. Uh, it's He's got five rounds against a guy who is not impossible to finish, and Tom Aspinall's very good at finishing people, but somebody who, if he can survive early, will make the fight hideous and tough and just miserable. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the great thing about uh, Tybura that has kept him 
so going so strong for a guy who, you know, after his first few UFC fights, you nobody was like, oh, yeah, Marcin Tybura is going to be, he's going to be a contender. You know, you got to those, like, Fabricio Verdum, Derek Lewis, Shamil Abdurakhimov fights. And you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. But he has he has maintained his resilience and his ability to that he's always had to fight hard through every round. He's never been a fighter to really fade badly. And uh, he has just very slowly and patiently otherwise gotten little bits better. Yeah, which has you know. It, it put him on a five-fight win streak at one point. There's still a ceiling to that that we saw, but uh, he then yeah. turned right back around and is winning more fights. And Tabora, I would say, is he has a craftiness that is like born of experience. Yeah. Um, in that he has a bunch of really specific adaptations, which are clearly you. You can look at Tabora's uh, fights, you know, his last dozen fights leading up to this moment, and see things changing. Yeah, uh, he does my most my absolute favorite kind of uh, defense, which is in fact actually terrible. But I like that he is considering defensive uh, openings, which mm-hmm. is he, he raises his guard super duper high and literally like blocks his own eyes with his forearms. Yeah, yeah. He just like put, he puts his forearm vertically straight in front of like the middle of his face. The um, Rousey method. That's right. But you know, like. Tabora didn't used to do that. He used to no. just get hit a lot more. Yeah. And now he's like, okay, I throw my punch. I can feel the the flow of this exchange. The right hand is coming back at me. Block it. And then I'm going to fire back or then I'm going to lunge into the clinch. He is, um, by heavyweight standards, certainly a very crafty, like deliberate fighter in there. Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to bet, if you have, ever there's a division where you're going to bet on every one of your opponents just being a headhunter. Exactly. Yeah. Heavyweight is the place to do it. You would think with all that body that everybody yeah, has. And is the fact to... that everyone gasses anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You should but be. It is really only. It, it, it is absolutely the, uh, you know, everybody fights like it's like it's punch out. And they all like the, the, the nose is the only part that glows. Yeah, it's and the world you... star division. Yeah, it is. Um. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 what I would like is for Tom Aspinall to not – at this point, th- this is the thing, is I would have liked to see Tom Aspinall before now deliberately not KO somebody instantly. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I wish yeah. more fighters would do this. If they're developing, go out there and get some work in, in front of an audience, you know, doing it live – and he, challenging yourself, especially when you're somebody like Tom Aspinall and your opponents clearly aren't doing it for you. It, well, not I, was, I, I, I was almost going to say, like, he should do the reverse hoofed thing, which is to just like, you know, where hoofed would take a wrestler and just push him out there and be like, no, you got a box three rounds. I don't care. No takedowns. Sure. Um, but he where it would be good to see him just do like that, but with wrestling. Yeah. But then I realized that he pretty much did that with Alexander Volkov, and heavyweights just can't grapple well enough that if Tom Aspinall is going to go out there and like force them to grapple, they're going to survive. Sure, I'm going to be tougher if he did that against Tabor. This is what I sure. mean. Like, yeah, he should have done that against like 
you know, already against guys like Jake Collier and Alain Baudot and, you know, even Andre Arlovsky ended up being that way. Yeah. Eventually, some opponent is going to survive the onslaught and you're going to have to get some work in. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's the thing is I just don't really know what it looks like necessarily still with only one example to go on when Tom Aspinall gets some work in. Obviously, I'm going to be picking him here. Yeah, you have the, to. Yeah, he's just so much more potent. He looks really, really well-rounded for a heavyweight. Um, but, uh, you know, there is enough, and I mean this in the best possible way, there is enough Greg Hardy in Tom Aspinall that it's not impossible that Tabora can make the fight ugly and scrape something out as it goes on. Sure. Because that's how Tabora beats these big dangerous punchers and these big athletic threats is he survives and then he's just still there body locking them and dragging them around and, yeah, sticking his arm in front of his eyes and just sort of bashing into them. Doing that weird stutter step jab yes. that he has. <laughs> yeah, the jab that somehow has five moving parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Tabora can be a very tough opponent if you can't get him out of there quickly. Uh, but I have every reason to believe that Aspinall might just get him out of there quickly. Yeah, I mean, the problem here, and I'll, I'll just jump in uh, for my okay. own sake, is really that you can go back and even fights Tabora win, has won, a combination of speed and power is just anathema to everything he does. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if if somebody has even if they don't want to to strike with him, if it's just Alexander Romanov going out there and like here's a blast double, like he will put Marcin Tybura on his ass. Yeah. If if Aspinall goes out there and it's just like I'm just gonna shoot on him. He will get a takedown on Marcin Tybura. Sure. Because Tybura's game is made all all through, built all through the clinch, built all through absorbing strikes and putting out the offense to get in tight and drag somebody into that hard fight. Yeah. And it's not, you know, he's he's got the guard up now, but the defenses for him have has long just been being there. The, yeah, the Tabor is not particularly good at any one skill set. Yeah, or he's, any he's, one skill. He's there and he doesn't get tired, which is a huge yeah. ability at heavyweight. But that is really the Tabora game is continuing yeah. to be there. And and a chain grappling game once you're tired. Once you're tired, he's Absolutely. a rare, yeah. he is the rare guy at heavyweight who is actually a back take artist, which like. It is it is the worst place to have that skill because everybody's back is like a you know it's like a yeah. a, a, a greased hog. It's like being a yeah. back take artist at a rodeo. Yeah, a back take artist fighting like a one hundred gallon drum. Yeah, I can't can't barely get my legs around this goddamn thing. Yeah. Um, so when people when people do get tired, then he's that's is how I really tore my good. that's how I tore my PCL. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord okay we got callback um, spoke <laughs> but uh yeah you you can look at the walt harris fight you can look at the greg hardy fight you can look at the alexander romanov fight uh you can look at guys like you know augusto sakai and uh 
Volkov and Derek Lewis and all that. And like anybody who can go out there and start fast and throw fast and mm-hmm. move with power and speed, Tybura is going to have his feet fairly set in front of them. For sure. Just waiting to get run over. Yeah. And those little defensive moves, I mean, the reason they're wrong is it's like a, you know, punch directly at this bar I've put in front of my face. Yeah. You know, it's it's one dealing with one specific threat at a time, which means he better be able to time it and know exactly when you're coming and with what. Like, what, what if Walt Harris were not so prone to self-destruction? Yeah, well, there's you go yeah, back and watch that fight. that fight. There's every chance that he could also finish Tabora quickly. It ha- it's yeah, yeah, and and there's nothing that Walt Harris can do that uh, Scott that uh, Tom Aspinall can't do. No, quite the you opposite. Know? There's a lot yeah. that Aspinall can do that Walt Harris can't. But as uh, first round dangers uh, on the feet at distance, they're they're very similar. Yeah, and Walt Harris just absolutely tuned Tabora up to start that fight. So, yeah, I got to look at that. I got to assume that Aspinall is, you know, he's wrestling and grappling have looked good enough that even getting, even if he doesn't put Tabor away right away, I assume that he will find ways to continue yeah. thwarting Tabor to continue, like, just taking him down because Tabor is going to be flat-footed walking in on him yeah. or just landing enough big hard shots and stopping enough of the clinch that you can't give Tybura enough rounds to say he won the fight. If this goes past this goes past three rounds, then who the hell knows? Because yeah, but I we, really again, it's not going to be a, a thrilling, but that is really what I want to see. I want to yeah. see. I want to look. This is a fight where I want to learn more about. One of the yeah. fighters. We want to see Tom Aspinall in rounds three, four, and five because yeah. literally in his entire career that has never happened to him. I want to see how he finds ways to like catch a breather. Yep. I want to see in which phases he can sort of control the fight and and slow things down if need be. Um, I want to see how he fights when he is totally exhausted because it's heavyweight that is bound to happen. Yep. Uh, if it goes on long enough. So, yeah, I want I want to learn these things about Tom Aspinall and not just be uh, impressed with him, followed by a bunch of question marks. Yeah. Understandable. Unfortunately, heavyweight is the place. It is the realm of the serial gone where yeah. you're like, are you really good or is everybody else that you're fighting just totally incapable of competing with you at all? Yeah. And then you get to that and gone fight and you're like, OK, wow. The these are this is the division where questions aren't answered until the title fight. Yeah, pretty much. If even by then, sometimes it takes a couple defenses, and then you're like, "Oh wait, yeah. you suck." <laughs> <laughs> That's heavyweight for you. All right, uh, my Aspinall is a huge favorite. Opened at minus four seventy eight. Currently minus four twenty six. Tybura opened at my, plus three eighty. Currently plus three forty four. That brings us to. A woman's flyweight bout, Molly McCann versus Julia Stoliarenko. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, I get it. Molly McCann's a big feature attraction there. If you were, if you're going to put her on cards, they should be London cards. If you're going to put her on London cards, she should be on the main card. 
The British she, crowd loves her. They they yeah. go absolutely nuts for her fights, and she she overperforms usually in front of that audience too. Yeah. Um. That said, I uh, can't say that I'm entirely thrilled about the idea of her of <clears throat> a fight against Julia Stoliarenko and Stoliarenko's flyweight debut. Yeah. In a lot of ways, to me, it feels like a fight made to be canceled on weigh-in day. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And otherwise, you kind of, I just have to pick Molly McCann. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even because she can't lose this fight really easily, because Stoyarenko is, she is a great one-minute fighter. She runs at people, she grabs onto them, she takes them down, she hits that first armbar transition. For that entire first minute, you're like, oh, wow, this person looks like they really have a game plan here that, like, is dangerous, it works, she knows all the right moves and steps, and then that armbar either works and she gets the instant submission win, or it fails and all of her confidence immediately goes away and her opponent adjusts to the idea that she's just going to try to run at them and take them down and nothing else she does works at all. Yeah. It's just a slow or not even a slow. It's like an instant evaporation of game. Yeah. So at that point you have to take Molly McCann. She could easily just get run off her feet and arm barred. Why does that sound like a Kendrick Lamar song, by the way? <laughs> the instant evaporation of game. <laughs> that is like a hipster rapper song title for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh, yeah. It's his next album. There we go. Yeah, Kendrick, if you're listening to this, I demand royalty rights. <laughs> uh, at least a songwriting credit. That's right. At least a songwriting credit. Um. But yeah, like McCann has lost several times to good grapplers who can just take her down. You know, mm-hmm. she has never been a happy or comfortable fighter off of her back. No. It just seems to stress her out and make her really uncomfortable. And she takes big chances because she really wants to be aggressive and she wants to be in control. And so. There's nothing to say McCann can't go out there and get instantly armbarred, but yeah, you're she's, really she's, banking on the Hail Mary sub. Yeah, that's about it. I don't have much to add. I mean, she's McCann's just fundamentally a brawler. Yep. Um, and that the, those instincts are more dangerous for her on the ground because she doesn't have the skill. Like, she does have some boxing skill. Yeah. Um, she's clearly more natural on the feet. She's got a better toolkit, and so her instinct to just go in there and uh, sling leather with people makes a lot more sense. She has the exact same approach to grappling, but being worse there, she tends to just get herself into terrible positions. She is not, the more I think about it, the more she is just like 1000% in the Ross Pearson zone Mm. where it's like a, a dyed in the wool brawler who is at her actual technical best when she's moving backwards and counting people. Yeah, it's true. And then is otherwise just doesn't want to do anything else at all. Yeah. Doesn't want to do the thing that she looks really good doing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and like Pearson, too, if, if Molly McCandy is the better grappler than her opponents, which does very rarely occasionally happen, she'll get on top of people and do some damage and, you know. Sure. Be be have an okay like half guard top game kind of thing. Sure, she got power. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm picking her too. Stolyarenko yeah. is. I mean, it cl- clearly this matchup was made because Stolyarenko is likely to not be able to refuse a brawl and have a brief and crazy fight with Molly McCann. Yep, yeah. So I'm I'm expecting McCann to finish her in the first half of the fight. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, like I say, Stolyarenko, that that first charge, you're like, wow, this really works. And then, yeah, you know, even Chelsea Chandler, who we saw get entirely pantsed by Norma Dumont in her last fight, uh, Chandler was just like, oh wait, no, I can ab, I'm absolutely a hundred percent more comfortable than you standing up. I'm just gonna start tuning you up. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, Stolyarenko's entire pre-UFC record was against very inexperienced fighters, many of them debutantes, mm-hmm. several of them with losing records. And the ones that weren't, she lost to. Yeah, and all of the wins, uh, except for one split decision against a 5-0 and fighter, were almost instantaneous submission finishes. Yep. So she's got a, she's got a great armbar transition game. They have yeah, in fact, and that is exactly what her subs. yeah yeah, and that is exactly what her one win in the UFC uh, against the sadly thoroughly broken Jessica Rose Clark. Yep, um, looked like that's that's exactly what happened. Every other fight that hasn't been her submitting someone immediately, she has lost definitively. Yep. So yeah, it's hard not to pick Molly. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if this, this fight gets canceled on the scales. Uh, Stolyarenko was 140 pound weight, fighting at 140 pound catch weight for her last fight. Provided she can make it to the fight, I have a feeling McCann will accept it, even if she misses. Yeah. Weight. But uh, and then at that point too, I really have to question uh, how she's going to look at 125 pounds. My guess is pretty drained. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I didn't, she didn't seem like a fighter who was carrying a lot of extra weight at 135 pounds. Mm-hmm. But I don't really know that 125 is going to be the move to make. I don't think that's a career rescuing move Yeah, for a fairly thickly built five foot eight. Yeah, especially because uh, this is bro science. I haven't had this confirmed, but I'm pretty sure it is generally harder for women to cut weight. Yeah, seems that way. All right. That brings us to the one fight on this card that I am truly, honestly yeah. jazzed for. This is a really great booking. Oh, wait, no, and the odds. I, I forgot the odds. Oh, yeah, Molly yeah, yeah, yeah. And is a big, is a sizable favorite, opened at minus 417. It's currently at minus 208, so people betting against her. At minus 400 odds for McCann, you have to. Like, there is every chance she gets armbarred in the first minute of this fight. Yeah, sure. Stolia rank open at plus 291 is currently plus 184. And that brings us to, yes, our featherweight bout, the fight, the best fight on the card, no question. Nathaniel Wood, Andre Feely. Yeah. This one, this one rocks. A really, really great matchup. Um, and I think uh, particularly for Nathaniel Wood, like a very a serious test. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is yeah what Andre Philly is made to do. Like he he's still uh, he he broke up a, what was a pattern for a while of just straight up win loss win loss. Yeah, but he's still pretty much like fifty fifty in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comes down to um, like one thing really, which is can you can you get in Andre Feely's face and stay there? Yeah. These tend to be the guys who beat him. Um, and if not, if you get stuck at the end of his reach, um, then he's, uh, he's a pretty uh, impressive and crafty range boxer and kickboxer. He lands like a Bobby Knuckles-style right high kick on everybody he fights. Mm-hmm. He's got a very stiff, long jab. Um, and Phil pointed this out. I thought this was a good point. He, Andre Feely is, he is like a, he's a timeable striker. Yeah. He tends to throw everything quite hard. And, but, um, when he's allowed to use his reach, he can still be really tricky because he uses a lot of same, like same setup, different outcome type of tactics. Yeah. He, he, he sets up the jab and then fires a long hook kind of thing he sets up the right straight off the jab and fires a right uppercut you can get the rhythm but if you are at his ideal range you are still going to be playing a guessing game where he's kicking things off with a a good long range threat putting you on the reactive and then surprising you with what the pattern itself is some Um, some carlos condit in there absolutely yeah um and i think the most interesting and concerning thing for Nathaniel Wood here is Andre Feely's wrestling because this has been a notable factor that has separated Nathaniel Wood's good performances from his the guy doesn't really have bad performances he's a really good fighter but from his losses yeah um Charles Jordan he looked phenomenal he was in there. He was fighting with him in the pocket. It looked like he had learned. Um, and this goes back to the Casey Kenny fight. He he was he had learned from the John Dodson fight. Mm-hmm. He's still a guy who's going to get hit super clean several times per fight, no matter what. Yep. Because uh, he's very aggressive by nature. And he, yeah, he he just wants to be in the pocket throwing long combinations. We talked about this with other fighters long a, a lot. You stay in the pocket. You you know. Jack Della Maddalena's face doesn't look like that by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. He, 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 he slipped like 75% of the strikes that Basil Hafez threw at him. Uh-huh. And he still got absolutely clubbed with yeah. huge shots over and over. Because these are fighters who want to be right there in the pocket throwing. They thrive in mutual range. So, yep. yeah, you're going to take shots. But um, certainly in his last several fights, you can see that Nathaniel Wood is a lot more defensively solid in that range. He's uh, against Charles Jordan. He was wary of Charles' hands, and he kept his guard nice and tight, you know, not crazy high. He stayed low. I thought it actually did a good job of taking advantage of what you would normally consider to be a height disadvantage. He sort of stayed when he was in close, sort of in Charles's chest kept his guard tight, presented very uh, a very small target, basically, and um, and usually had one hand at his chin when he was firing. He was just really tight yeah. in close range. 
And uh, that was not as necessarily the case when he fought John Dodson. Yeah. But it's tough to say for me how impressive he would have been against Charles Jordan if he hadn't been able to wrestle him at will. Mm-hmm. And he was able to wrestle Charles Rosa at will. Yeah. He was not against Casey Kenny. Um, and that was an incredibly close competitive fight. Not, not that he looked bad. That was a great fight, yeah. but it allowed Kenny to compete with him all the way. And in fact, to, to pick up a close decision win on him. And I think this is the thing. I mean, Nathaniel Wood is a remarkably well-rounded fighter. And like a lot of all rounders, I think, uh, uh, his, his performances are pretty dependent on how effectively he can sort of use every facet of his game. Yeah. And if he doesn't have all those options available, it, it's, it's at least more likely that he can kind of run out of ideas or fall into more predictable patterns and that the opponent is going to be able to get more comfortable against him and therefore take advantage of the fact that he is constantly putting himself at risk. Yep. And, um, so yeah, like Andre Feely's hard to take down. Mm-hmm. He's also really good at hitting his own takedowns. And this uh, sort of just feels like it takes a big chunk of Nathaniel Wood's skill set sort of out of the equation. I'm, I'm kind of having trouble picturing him taking Andre Feely down. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I can see him getting Andre Feely off of his feet. But my guess is that he won't be able to hold him down. That Feely sure. would, will get up pretty quick. Yeah, um, Feely's a tough scrambler, grab a wizard, you know, kick and, off the hips, create space, and, and create a scramble at the very least. Yeah, the the big thing here for Feely that I think he's improved a lot with, and it's still the biggest cause for concern with him, is when he's forced onto the back foot and he has to get out of the pocket. Yeah. His chin tends to go up. His chin is almost always high. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he's pressing forward, the creativity that he can create at his own preferred range and pace makes it not as much of a problem because his opponent has to guess a lot at what's coming at him. Yeah. <clears throat> when you, when um, you've established your range and you have a reach advantage, you can yeah. pretty safely lean back and escape a lot of what comes back yeah. at you. But when, when opponents storm forward... That's when, yeah. you know, you see a lot more from Andre Feely where, like, he has to eat two or three or four shots and find that counter to stop the pressure. Right. Because it's not going to happen just through. He's not he's not at his best as a back foot counter strike. No, certainly not. Coming forward, establishing his, his range. Yeah. Uh, that said, uh, I will say that Feely's last fight against Bill Algio he did show a lot better uh he, he showed a lot more urgency about about sliding out on an angle about mm-hmm. taking a step back and then taking a step to the side so that when algio would try to come forward after him he wouldn't be quite so present mm-hmm. algio still landed a lot of strikes on feely sure. it's still not a defensive masterpiece of footwork from him, but it is, it is something that you can see he's trying to work on and fix. Yeah. And it's notable too, that that's a, that's a rare fight where Philly fights somebody his size. 
Yeah, true. Um, who's yeah, of course, gonna land at a range where Feely's usually at least uh, has a moment to think about what to do. Uh, Nathaniel Wood is, according to Wikipedia, at least four inches shorter than Andre Feely. Yeah, according to the UFC stats page, yeah. he's five inches shorter. Yeah, and, and I kind of five inch reach advantage disadvantage. I kind of believe that. Like, it's you can't just trust yeah. these numbers on, on a page. All I know is I looked at his fight with Charles Jordan, and he looks significantly smaller than Jordan, who I do not think of as a particularly big featherweight. Yeah. Jordan was much smaller than Shane Burgos when they fought. And on paper, he's it says he's one inch shorter than Feely, but I remember him looking more than an inch shorter than Andre Feely. He's uh, he's listed here on the UFC stats again as five foot nine, so two inches shorter than Feely. And oh, three inches taller than Wood. Feely's listed at five eleven on there. Yep. Okay. The Wikipedia's at five ten, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Feely is one of the biggest dudes at the featherweight division. Um mm-hmm. and Nathaniel Wood is notably small. And yeah. I like that. It's worked for him. He's very fast. He's just like a little badger who gets in people's faces and uh, it makes him a really, really exciting fighter to watch at this division. But it it, it has its disadvantages, obviously. Mm-hmm. And this is one where being much smaller and probably not just having ready access to a big portion of his, uh, his flowing three-phase game uh, makes it a really stiff test. I'm still going to yeah. pick him because yeah. he's really consistent with his output and his I think he is going to get to pressure Feely. He's going to insist on it. Yep. And I think he's going to insist on being inside Feely's reach where, again, this is a, a, a pretty decisive factor in the fights that Feely ends up losing. People yeah, can just it, consistently it, get in his chest. And it's where his game gets to its worst point. Yes. And uh, Wood doesn't really, you know, to his credit, there's not really a spot where you see Nathaniel Wood at his worst, you know? Right. His defense, his countering ability, his game functions pretty well in all phases. Uh, probably, the, the, you know, unfortunately for him, probably the biggest hindrance he's going to have going forward is, A, as you say, the, the sort of MMA native need to do everything. Mm-hmm. And B, his size, just being a guy that is stuck between bantamweight and featherweight where yeah. he's a little too uh, thickly built to be down at 135 comfortably. And he's just too short to be the most easily dom- – to, to be an easily physically dominant featherweight. Right. If I said featherweight th- twice, I meant bantamweight the first time. But I, I got you. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, you know, the way he, the way he can get into the pocket and extend combinations with his hands, with an active defensive game, uh, it just feels tailor made to make Feely very uncomfortable. You know, that that is what I keep coming back to that has me picking Wood, is that. If and if Feely steps forward, if Feely gets the chance to to pressure and be on the front foot, as a note, like his his defense falls apart there too. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of the. He's just not a good defensive fighter. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a little bit of the Jim Miller thing to him, is how I feel. How I kind of think of it is like, where, the he's it's that MMA 
that MMA kickboxing style where it's like the absolute best version of you is when you are static mm-hmm. in equidistant range with an opponent and you're both getting to select what combos you want to throw in, tr- in trade. And if you have to push forward or you have to go backward, that's when all of a sudden all of the defensive flaws in your game stick out. Mm-hmm. And Feely's got that same problem where, yeah, when you give him like an equal range kickboxing fight, he, his creativity, it's that Carlos Condit thing. Like the creativity is right there and yeah. the flow is there and he can do all sorts of stuff. But if you actually, if, if you have a fighter like Wood who's going to insist on pressure and he's going to insist on making Feely have to pick whether he is pressuring or being pressured, then I expect Wood to have a lot, a, a much cleaner performance out of it. So, yeah, I'll take Wood as well. But it's, it is the most thrilling fight on the card. And I couldn't help but feeling like watching Wood versus Jordan and the shots that Jordan was landing. Mm-hmm. on Nathaniel Wood in that fight, like the the sneaky high kicks that he was getting in on Wood, mm-hmm. that uh, as Wood kept trying to stock him down and pressure. And then you turn around, you watch Andre Feely against Bill Algio. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, Feely is going to land these same combos that Charles Jordan was landing. Oh, like I said, he lands that right high kick on yeah. everyone. He has, it's a very good weapon in his arsenal. It, it really feels like we are going to see Nathaniel Wood in a fight much like the Charles Jordan fight against somebody who is actually just better than Charles Jordan. You know, he was he was more consistent about he's, the kind of offense he can deliver. He's he's a worse boxer than Charles Jordan, no question. Yeah. Um, yeah. not when they fought, in fact. No. Uh Jordan took a step up after his fight with Feely, but um Feely is himself is much more well rounded, and I think that yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah. So it should be a thrilling fight, honestly. Like mm-hmm. Feely is big. He can throw exactly the kind of offense that Wood will walk on, will have to walk on to to make his mm-hmm. game happen. And Wood can create exactly the kind of pressure that makes Feely fight his worst. So I'm looking forward to it a lot. Mm-hmm. Wood is the favorite, opened at minus 182, is currently at minus 191. Feely opened at plus 163, is currently at plus 170. I honestly think, like, that's a good line on Feely. Um, I don't see any reason that this could not be a stumbling block for Nathaniel Wood. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's Wood is really a fighter where the skill is there, but uh, you you have to worry about a guy who's five foot six fighting up into the top at levels of the featherweight division. And if he's just going to find people who have the power and the range to to catch him fighting the fight he wants. Mm-hmm. And Feely could be that. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Paul Craig, Andre Muniz. And... Um, 
boy, did Andre Muniz look bad in that last fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is that. He All these did... really impressive performances, just like, oops, don't have that. <clears throat> it's one of, one of those occasions where you just find out how super important it is to have this one specific advantage on somebody. Yeah. And without and... that, turns out everything else is just kind of guesses. Yeah, and it's always been something that I've one of those things that when when Mooney's debuted and had that fight with Antonio Arroyo, mm-hmm. I was already just like, man, he's got a game set in stone that is really one dimensional. I do not expect big things long term out of Andre Mooney's. And then he just kind of got a bunch of the perfect fights for him. True. Yeah. And it was like, oh, well, okay. I mean, if you're gonna tech sub Jacare Souza. Mm-hmm. I, and, you know, then go out there and dominate Eric Anders and Uriah Hall. I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this game works better than I thought it did. And then he hits that Allen fight and you're just like, oh, okay, it's still there. The problem is still not been solved. Mm-hmm. That he, the, the weird thing is for him, is that despite a number of knockout losses, I think at this point, Muniz, is, he's developed enough craft and enough comfort in the cage that he is now very tough. Mm-hmm. And that toughness combined with just a really, like, really ropey, uh, long arms, big hands kind of fighting makes him a weirdly difficult fight fighter to stand up against if you're not yourself a pretty confident striker. Which Alan, to his credit, is these days. He's not he's not necessarily a great striker still, but he's very confident about his ability to to go out there and throw down with people. Yeah. He was also perfectly confident about his ability to grapple with minis. Yeah. And it made a big difference right there. But it's, it, you know, I think there kind of has to be both. I mm-hmm. feel like for Mooney's, where like somebody, it really took Allen having both issue things that he could stand by, where it's like, oh, I'm not going to be worried about you. Mooney, you know what it really is? is like Mooney's is very uh, middleweight Alexia Linick. Hmm. Actually, yes. You know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> where it's like, okay, your striking is fuck ugly. But if somebody isn't perfectly ha- comfortable handling the pressure you bring with that striking, yeah, it will be effective. And that is a concern with with uh, Paul Craig. Yeah, is that there is no real version of striking that Paul Craig is comfortable with? No, he keeps trying. Keeps trying to find some some way that he can kickbox and not just get shelled. Yeah, I mean, except except he doesn't. It doesn't even always try. Yeah, he, he had that fight with Uzdemir. It's still one of the most peculiar fights I have ever seen. In that, both men seem to have no idea how they could win. Yeah, they 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 both seem to refuse to believe that they could win in the other guy's face. Mm-hmm. Even though when both of them were sort of dragged into going for it to survive, yeah. they did start to win. 
Yeah, when Paul Craig... crushed Paul Craig from top position. Yep. Reluctantly. And when Paul Craig went forward with his long reach, he just lit Uzdemir up. Yeah. Both guys were like, no, this isn't how the matchup works. I'm yep. the grappler. He's the striker. And they both agreed on that and just refused to win. Very strange. And Very. that's the thing is Paul, Paul Craig should be a more confident. If he were more confident, he wouldn't need. Uh, it wouldn't be such a big problem that his striking skill is so bad. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it'd be like um, like Michael Chiesa. Mm-hmm. Michael Chiesa is not a great boxer. Terrible boxer. But he, yeah. But he will press forward and, and make people deal with his reach and try to push them back. It'd be very uncomfortable to strike with Michael Chiesa, even if you are a much better technician than him. Yeah. Paul Craig doesn't seem to have that. Um, I, I don't know. He doesn't have that like belief that he can make somebody uncomfortable on the feet. He's, he tends to be. It's almost like his grappling game. He's like he's playing the striker's version of guard. Yeah. You come to me. And, and maybe it'll be that he will just be so strong at middleweight that he will just be able – maybe his takedown game won't suck so much ass because that is like the wow. unfortunate compounding problem for Craig at light heavyweight was that he would just hit somebody's hips and the life would go out of him. <laughs> you know, it would be like, oh, I'm shooting in. And the moment, like, skin mo- – the moment shoulder touched hip, yeah, it was just like uh-huh. – yeah, it, it, it was it was an immediate like like his his opponent had cast like a fainting like the yeah. we, you know they had a weapon that that oh it's the 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 like when when you get those those weapons in uh, Skyrim uh-huh. that sap uh, sap yeah. your energy yeah or sap the opponent's energy and they just fall down and freeze he got he got he got hit he got he ran straight into the 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 curace of ravening. Yeah, his, exactly. Uh, his stamina, just, his stamina just drained, and then he's on the ground, like frozen for a second. Uh huh. Before recovering. Yeah, it's sort of like one of those like CG tests you see like digital artists post. Yeah, it'd be like a figure of a man who like runs towards a wall, and then he hits it, and he just turns into water. <laughs> yeah. You know, Very look what much. I look what I can do with my graphics. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, it's, it was remar- the other thing that was so notable in the Ustamir fight, why, that Paul Craig's insistence on grappling instead of striking also caused him to lose because his wrestling was so ineffective. Yeah. He just runs into somebody and he's like, I guess I should pull guard. This isn't yep. working. Yeah. And that the combination against Mooney's, it just has me meet, feel like. Mooney's is going to he is going to get to start every exchange on his terms. Yeah. Whether he's striking or grappling, he's gonna be the guy throwing first, and he's gonna be the guy on top hitting takedowns. And if that's if that's what Mooney's games and if that's what he gets, then he gets a fight that he's entirely comfortable with. He gets the alignic effect where you know, you you can't take Alinek off of the game he wants to have. It won't be pretty, but it'll be really effective. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna take Muniz. Muniz. Uh, yeah, I I, I agree. I, I I mean, also just that I I have no idea what Paul Craig is gonna look like at middleweight. At, mid- yeah. at middleweight, he's six foot four. It doesn't. He's a really big dude. 
the problem is not light heavyweight. His problems are not the division he's in. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, he's not a super strong-looking light heavyweight, but he he is huge, and I have to imagine it's going to be a difficult cut. I mean, granted, Muniz is a big middleweight, too. Yeah, but he's but, but Muniz Paul is Craig only is, foot one. Right, Paul Craig is just has a massive gawky frame. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that that's just enough for me to, to uh, combine with all that I do know about Paul Craig, adding a complete unknown and likely a bad move into the mix just doesn't seem good. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's too light heavyweight is a division where if all you can do is grapple, you're going to get a lot of shocking wins. Mm-hmm. You know, if all you have is a submission game, even if it's just off your back, Paul Craig beat Nikita Krylov. Nikita Krylov is a much better light heavyweight than Paul Craig, all things sure. considered. You know, Paul Craig, Paul Craig got to beat. He got to beat Shogun. He beat the champ. He beat Jamal Hill, not in former well, champ now. Former champ. <laughs> but the UFC just keeps Jam- shunting these guys out of there for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. Like uh, he beat Magomed on Kalaev. Yeah. Like he got great wins, and. Adolfo Vieira ran ass first into Anthony Hernandez and Chris Curtis. <laughs> you know, like grappling God. Ass Adolfo first, huh? Vieira just like his best win in the middleweight division is Oscar Pichota. Yeah. You know? Like why, why ask first though? I don't know. Adolfo's out there arching his back for. I'm just saying <laughs> for Chris he, Curtis. <laughs> I'm just saying that he 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 got, you know, for yeah. for a, middleweight is not as kind to great grapplers. Uh-huh. It can be, but they have to usually. There's also a division of, of very specialized games. Yes, it, but... it's a game. Yeah. But but yeah, there's a really thriving like niche for very limited. That's the thing is that Paul Craig doesn't even have a very well-rounded grappling. Exactly. Game. He's super dangerous in one very particular area, and nothing else in his game is is designed to support. I mean, Paul. I'm sure Paul Craig is a very effective in top position, mm-hmm. but nothing in his game supports him ever getting there. Yeah. So and, he's too limited in his specialty by middleweight standards. Yeah, it really is one of those things where, like, the the good grapplers at middleweight are all good wrestlers too. Yeah, and at light heavyweight, you know, you don't have to be at light heavyweight. You can just catch guys because they can't yeah. grapple. No question, Meniz is the better wrestler in this matchup, for example. Yeah. So I I can't bank on this move for Paul Craig, and I I don't think it's probably a very good idea, frankly. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, Craig is an underdog here. Opened at plus 146, is currently at plus 193. Mooney's opened at minus 163, is currently down at minus 219. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Jai Herbert, Faris Ziam. And uh, I wish... Um... I wish you could combine these two fighters into one <laughs> right. guy. Right? Because Jai Herbert has a kind of... They're, they're, they're two rangy kickboxers, first and foremost. 
Yeah. Jai has a kind of smoothness and flair and flow to his striking that I enjoy. Yeah, no, he's 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 out there pumping feints and testing different angles. Um, and then the strikes he chooses to commit to are like he throws them way too hard and he crashes into people. He can't like maintain his range, but when he's at range, he gives you a lot of information to try to process. Yeah. He is freaky long and he knows how to use his length for a strike or two at a time. Yeah, but never to jab. No. <laughs> he doesn't jab very much. Yeah. Whereas Siam does jab. And he tries to keep people uh, at bay with his reach. But he's sort of like stiff and like lets people strike first and then tries to it tends to trigger a lot on other people's offense rather than trying to like seize the initiative with his size. And, and when somebody can actually strike with him a little bit, he notably just has to then default to, am I the better wrestler? Absolutely. And even when he wins, I mean, he can be a very creative scrambler and he's big and he uses his size, um, his, his length well on the ground to just sort of win scrambles that smaller fighters would not be able to win. Yeah. Um, but like skill for skill, he's not a particularly good wrestler. Yeah. It's just, um, he, he's, it's, it's the same thing with, uh, there are a lot of similar similarities with him and like Nasajin Imavov uh-huh. in that way where you're like, Oh yeah, this, this, these are some really good, uh, well-chosen strikes. And are you completely comfortable? No. Oh, I see. You're going to be trying to wrestle your opponent now. Yeah. Even against that guy, uh, Figlack. Yeah who he was out striking, he was still getting pressured and therefore he like was going for like low single leg takedowns and stuff and missing half of them. Yeah. Um, and getting like easily mounted, but then just sort of like half giving up the back. Okay. I've got a big, super long arm under your leg and now I could just kind of flip you over stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I wish you could combine these two. So maybe if they collide hard enough, we will get a really good lightweight. That's right. <laughs> um, they can, with, if they if they both punch the exact same spot, they can like split an atom, and and combine in like nuclear fusion into into one guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not going to happen. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is I see I, I see directionally, I, I see Jai Herbert coming forward more in this fight. Sure. He doesn't always insist on it, but far as Ziam, again, he he to him the reach is like a barrier. Somebody walks forward, he waits for them to commit, and then they run into a, a lamppost. Mm-hmm. That's kind of his approach to to boxing and kickboxing. I see Jai Herbert getting to come forward. There's some possibility he can um put on enough pressure to make Ziam wrestle. And maybe that works. Because yeah. Jai Herbert's not a very good defensive wrestler. No, and he's got really bad instincts on the ground. Yes, yes. It's not even um, just like, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing or he doesn't know, you know, how to grapple that well or something like that. It's like, no, he he will find himself halfway through defending a takedown and decide to jump to go for an arm bar. Right. And you just like, you're on your back now. Like, you're not. Yeah, Jack Jack Della Maddalena last weekend kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing? Why not just stuff the takedown? Yeah. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's there is room for Herbert to get to pressure and to use his feints and his trickiness to make Ziam uncomfortable. But when Ziam gets uncomfortable, I think he is, whether he knows it's like an edge or not, going to be pushed into an area of the game where Jai Herbert is just way less comfortable. Yeah, that's that's what I see, too. especially, too, with with Ziam having the kind of big frame he has. Yeah. Uh, Herbert has to, you know, a lot of his safety valve is, oops, I fell into the clinch. Well, I'd better be bigger than you here so that I can really lean on you with my clinch game and make you uncomfortable and have to eat hard strikes that you're not ready for. And Ziam's size means that that probably just won't happen. Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, then, yeah, I just got to feel like Ziam's going to be able to hit takedowns and start beating Herbert up. And Herbert is, you know, he's a fighter who it really is like one of these things where it's like you see the you see the flow and the flash at range. You're like, oh, that's perfect. Then he falls into the clinch and you're like, okay, that's not bad if you've got all the advantages. I see it. And then he falls to his back, defending a takedown. <laughs> And you're like, okay, no, this is all terrible. You have taken the perfect point and you have slowly disintegrated it into absolutely losing the fight. Right. And yeah, Herbert tends to spiral even in fights that he's winning. Yeah, exactly. And with Zeom, that doesn't happen. Zeom can be out scrambled, he can be out grappled, he can be out wrestled. Yeah. He can be out struck. But there's not a point where you're like, oh, you are falling into your own. You're falling to your own doom here. Yeah. You know, it, it's much more like, oh, OK, you thought you would do. You, you've put out your barrier of striking and your opponent can actually get around it. Well, OK, now you've got to fall back on a secondary skill and you can, you know, are you a good enough clinch fighter? Is, are they a bad enough clinch fighter that you can kind of own them in the clinch? OK, now you're going to fall back on a tertiary skill. Oh, okay, are you a good enough wrestler that you can out-wrestle them? If none of these things are true, you're going to lose this fight. If one of these things is true, you you might have a good chance of winning it. Right. So Yeah, they're much more reasonable fallbacks, basically, yeah. than Jai Herberts. And a lot of Jai Herberts, I'm not even sure, are fallbacks. They're sort of accidents. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That all sort of stems from the fact that he has a lot of difficulty actually maintaining his effective distance. Yep. He just crashes into people why somebody a while ago asked me like you know that they wanted a like oh what do you look at when you're breaking down fight footage and stuff like that and i was like you know honestly probably the first thing anymore that i look at more than anything else when i'm doing tape study is distance control and range management yeah that, that's a very big tell like for how consistent a fighter is going to be how, yeah how, how much of a round winner they're going to be yeah and because even like so much of MMA defense is for a lot of fighters. Just do you stay away from somebody? Do Absolutely. you get yourself yeah. out of distance to be hit? Yeah. And if you're very specialized, like Jai Herbert, if you're clearly best at range, you had better know how to keep yourself at range. Your own yeah. offense cannot be the thing that flings you into uh, what is not even good enough to really be a B game for you. Yeah. You know? So. 
it's unfortunately far too common um, in MMA, part, partly because the distance tends to be bigger. Yep. And people have that like boss rooting philosophy of like, if, I, if I'm going to take the Phil talks about this insightfully, like the, the logic seems to be for a lot of fighters, anything I do is risky. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, anything could happen. It's MMA. So if I'm going to step in and do something, it better be something really hard that has the potential yeah. to end the fight right now. All these things sort of combine to make people who, you know, like corner their opponents and get a chance to tee off on them and then just smash themselves into the clinch with one or two shots. Far too common. It, th- this is why we get so like hot and heavy over a guy like Jun Young Park. Yeah. You can go out there against Albert Duraev and be like, here's a bunch of jabs. What are you uh-huh. going to do about it? Here's a bunch of jabs. Oh, you think you're swinging big at me and hitting me once for every three jabs I throw and that that's going to turn the tide. What if I just keep throwing more jabs? Oh, and your hands are up now. What if I dig to the body? What if I just never put myself out of the position I want to be in and force you to deal with me at my best all the time? Mm-hmm. What happens? And the opponent crumbles. Yeah, you know? a lot of times th- that works. Even if you're not a great athlete, you're not big for the division, whatever. Yeah. And it's why we're always over the moon for guys like Ilya Tuporia and uh, especially Wood. in his last performance, and Nathaniel Wood, and of yeah. course, like Volkanovsky. Like these dudes are masters at, um, they just, uh, it's it's a hard thing, especially in MMA. Like not even all boxers are particularly good at this, but yeah. You're out there, you're tense, and the, the thing that marks a good fighter is the ability to, to, to be in that tense, stressful situation and, and control yourself. Yep. It's difficult, but that's martial arts. That's the difference between martial arts and like fighting in nature. Yeah. Because you're overriding instincts with yep. technique. All right. Odds on the fight. Ziam is the favorite, opened at my, plus 107, dropped immediately to minus 103, and is currently a minus 150. Herbert opened at minus 118, and then uh, was trending pretty close to that for a while, and then in the past few days jumped up to plus 102, and is currently a plus 135. Definitely the odds adjustment there makes a lot of sense to me. Ziam mm-hmm. should be the favorite here. Herbert... He, you know, his best performance in the UFC so far, you, you know, is a win over the infinitely first-round finishable comma-worthy. Yeah. I mean, and you know, he, he hurt Ilya Tupori. I mean, that that yeah. is the other thing that is worth keeping in mind, why Ziam shouldn't be a massive favorite. Yes. Herbert is definitely more powerful than Ziam. Herbert is definitely more powerful. It's just the only reason that I'm not pushing that totally is that Ziam's never been knocked out. True. All right. Uh, final card fight of the main card, Lerone Murphy, Josh Kulabau. And, uh, you know, this is a pretty good fight. Not mm-hmm. bad. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't love it for Josh because mm-hmm. he is an underwhelming athlete whose best skill is in his game planning and his tactics that he chooses. Mm-hmm. And Lerone Murphy is a really good athlete whose best ability is to just go in there and smash into somebody and mix it up and make them have to deal with what a good athlete he is. Um, 
So that said, there are chances for Kulabau. If Murphy gets indecisive out at range, there are chances for Kulabau to lean on his kicks and his jab and to then kind of Alex Morono it up with some big swinging wild hooks. Sure. If he gets initiative, we've seen uh, Kulabau do that well before against uh, like, what was it? Uh, Sungwoo Choi, where Choi wanted to be outside and like have the range kickboxing battle with Kulabau. And I was like, Kulabau was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just really swing big and crash into you. And you, the fact that you're faster than me and can hit harder, it won't matter that much if you're always going to let me just swing away and 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 jump in to the mm-hmm. pocket. Uh, Murphy is much more of a crasher, though, himself. He's much more comfortable being like, well, okay, I'll, I'll you know, he's the do-everything MMA native. I'll chain a takedown in here. Yeah. I'll be he can also, when he, when he, the thing I've noticed most about Murphy is that fully half of his UFC performances have started out with him losing. Yeah. I he think was. he's a slow starter and very much uh, an adjuster by nature, which, yeah. which is, is, can be dangerous, but is also a point in his favor that Murphy is a fighter who is, is actively paying attention yeah. to what's happening minute to minute in the fight and, and adapting. And so, yeah, he, you say he smashes into people, but you can get into like the third round of a fight like yeah. that one with Gabriel Santos, and he is doing some really excellent, consistent range boxing, throwing combinations, yep. doing what we were talking about before, not overcommitting, not crashing in because he's being effective at this range. So let's just stay on balance and fire out four or five shots in a row. Yeah. And the thing otherwise for Kulabau is that. Uh, he tends to need, you know, the, he's not the fastest bot striker. He's not the snappiest puncher or anything like that. So the rest of his game has to kind of flow from being uh, the more confident grappler. Yeah. He, he either has to be the more confident striker or the more confident grappler, basically. Right. Not even technically better, just more confident in these areas. And that was like, you know, against Bogdasarian, he was just basically getting lit up for most yeah. of that fight. That was one where I did not like his game plan. I don't think he's. Yeah. Uh, he might be noted for being a good game planner by us, but that doesn't mean he's uh, he's flawless in what he now he decides to approach his opponents. And, and I would say, too, though, for him, like, you know, it may have also just been a point where he's in there with somebody who's an insanely better athlete than him and not a good grappler. Yeah, And what we basically saw was him just waiting for one opening yeah. that he could possibly get, where he could crash into Bogdasarian, Bogdasarian would crash into him, overextend himself, put himself out of position, and Kulabau could jump yeah. on that moment. And it worked, but I'm, it worked. I'm strategically, I'm never particularly fond of the, I'm going to let the kicker have his range and try to counter his kicks as like a yeah. first, <laughs> as yeah. the first layer of your game plan. Yeah. But he, he, you know, at least he knew what opportunity he was looking for. Sure. That's yeah. Thing you can say is that. Yeah. But it would be like if Alexa Grosso went in again, against Shevchenko and all she had was the, when she spins, I'm going to yeah. back really fast. Yeah. That was a component of an otherwise nicely it's rounded true. Uh, strategy. It's true. Um, Grasso is also just much faster 
And yeah. All I'm saying is a tactic is not a strategy. It's true. It's true. Right. Uh, unfortunately for Kulabau here, I just don't think that he has a point where he has more confidence than no Murphy. Murphy has, Murphy has gotten out of position and he's gotten in really bad grappling positions before. He's gotten, you know, taken down. He's got his back taken. He has given up the first move to people. And he has always, always found a way to fight out of that on the ground. Yeah. And usually makes um, like preventative adjustments. Yeah. Like goes on to not just I'm, I know how to deal with this next time it happens, but I'm not going to let that happen again. Yeah. Adjustments. And if he can do that against Kulabau, then I think this is ends up being a lot more like Kulabau's fight with uh, Jalen Turner, where you're watching, you're like, oh, you've got some good ideas. I like these ideas, but you just can't keep up with the physicality of the person in front of you. Yep. And I think that's what we'll see here. So I got to pick Murphy. Yeah, I fully agree. If if Kulabau has a really uh, a great game plan, which probably involves aggression in this case yeah probably involves taking advantage of murphy's um routine feeling out process trying to push him into bad grappling positions early Mm -hmm. then yeah he can probably forestall the uh the 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 inevitable murphy adjustment but uh he's just super physically outmatched and 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 outmatched in terms of skill i mean that's the thing murphy He might look a little aimless early in a lot of his fights, but when he gets going, he is a super well-rounded and technical fighter himself. Yeah, and it's just too, it's not even skill necessarily. Like, Kulabau might be just as good a grappler as Lerone Murphy, but Murphy doesn't lack the confidence there of somebody like Mosarian. No. You know? Yeah, Murphy has good reason to be confident everywhere because he's a great athlete who is skilled. Yeah, like and he knows so, how to handle himself everywhere. Yeah, if Kulabau can't catch somebody in a position where they're suddenly like, "Oh my God, I don't know what to do with this," yeah, then I, I have a lot less confidence in Kulabau's ability right. to turn his own good reads into things that take over this right. this kind of fight. Right, and fundamentally, Kulabau is we, we we talk about him as a good game planner. He is fundamentally, um, as is often the case with that kind of brain. He he does not have what Murphy has, which is the ability to come up with new plans on the fly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just think it's he can start really well, but unless he finishes Murphy, which is very difficult to do, he's it's never prob- happened. The fight's going to get dr- drastically worse the longer it goes on for Kulabau. Yeah. The 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 only thing that Murphy has had even close to a loss. Well, I mean. That that Gabriel Santos fight was tough as hell, but otherwise is the split draw against Saber Tukugov where he just started entirely in the hole in that fight and then yep worked his way out of it. Was killing Tukugov by the very end, and uh, yeah. and I think that was a short notice UFC debut yeah, as well. Very short notice. Yeah, so he's been very impressive since then. Uh, odds on the bout. Murphy is the favorite. Not a huge one. I love the love that Kulabau is getting. Murphy opened at minus 151. is currently minus 135. Kulabau opened at plus 136. is at plus 122. 
I, I'm glad to see gamblers and odds makers recognizing the uh, quality of Kulabau, who we have been, you know, presidents of his fan club for a minute now. But I think this will be a tough one. If you're not a Substack subscriber, sign up for our Substack and we'll be right back with a little bonus content for you. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.